Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and our Giro d'Italia Stage 4 podcast brought to you by Lacole. As you know, our Giro podcasts our show is made possible by our partner, Lacole, the fastest growing cycling apparel ma- manufacturer in the world. They produce road cycling apparel with a performance focus only. And you'll likely already be familiar with them because they supply the kit to Byron McLaren, who got a man on the podium at the moment on GC, Pella Bill Bow. Uh, and we're trying to set up interviews with Bill Bow and Mark Padun, the Bahrain riders, for the rest days coming up in this year. So thanks for Lacole in helping us organize that as well, which that's why we wanted to bring them on board as a partner because they're fans of the content as well, all the way up to their CEO and founder, Yanto, um, and we're fans of what they do at Lacole and their commitment to road kit that's performance-focused. But if you want to check it out, you can find them at www.lacole.cc. That's L-E-C-O-L.cc. That link is in the show notes of the podcast or the YouTube video description. But Benji, before I get to the actual stage profile for stage four today, there was news before they even rolled out. That's the biggest news of this year so far, really. Yeah, the biggest news of the day came before the start even began because we had Grain Thomas not starting today in stage, which is a bit of a bummer, but it's also very understandable considering the crash he had yesterday. We already noticed on the podcast yesterday a live reaction from Lantern Rouge himself on the crash. We kind of explained how he crashed on that video. He had a bottle hit his bike, and because of that, he came onto the deck. Now, a bit of an update on that. Our initial reaction, or at least mine, was that who the hell throws a bottle like that? Because you can throw it like overriders and such. But thinking about it more, it's obviously not the case. They are in the first two kilometers of a stage in the neutral zone, the first two kilometers. So nobody's going to throw away their bottle yet. And additionally, you can't feed in the first 30 kilometers of the stage. So no one would do it on purpose. And additionally, they were on a rough road patch. And that's why the bottles came loose in the bike itself from the rider that lost his bottle that day. And there's no one really to blame there, except for maybe that the bottles are extremely light these days and therefore (laughs) fall out of the frame of a bike so easily. I don't know if that's a manufacturing issue or anything. I'm not that in-depth into the... uh, rules of when it comes to the weight that it's necessary to stay in the bike the physics of that so yeah do you have anything more to add on the thomas crash i think he had a fractured hip which is really sad because that means he won't be racing anytime soon unfortunately yeah and thomas came out and he tweeted and i 100 percent believe him he said he was he's really gutted because he trained so hard um and he's come into this euro with his 2018 tour form and yeah, I agree with that. That's what I saw at Terreno Adriatico. He was building so nicely into this race, did a magic TT at both Worlds and Stage 1 here. And yeah, such a shame for Thomas. Um, it really, like, I know it was. it's a bit of a meme about the crashing thing. And I said, I've said a couple of times that, yeah, I thought he was too short odds because he crashes a lot. But really, this wasn't 
that this was – I don't think – I probably didn't make it clear enough yesterday that, yeah, this wasn't Thomas' fault uh, that he crashed. It was just kind of a freak accident and it's weird that they're going downhill so quickly in the neutral zone. They're going like 65. They were really hustling. That's why I didn't – I had to watch it a few times to make sure it was a neutral zone because I was like, wow, they're going so quick. Um, and the bottle issue – Popping out of cages persisted today. If you look at uh, either Mihai or uh, the Flam Rouge tweets throughout the day, you'll see like the bottles kept popping out of people's bottle cages every time they go through uh, one of these small hilltop towns or whatever where there's sort of the pavers um, or irregular road surface. So that's a problem. It's really sketchy and it's a real shame for Thomas and I, he's not going to be able to go to the Giro, uh, to the Welter, I don't think, because he's, uh, yeah, he's hurt his hip pretty badly, I think. So, I mean, I hope he can, but it seems unlikely he's a tough guy. But moving on to this stage, we've got quite an interesting stage, actually, and one I think the Tour de France could learn from. 140 kilometres, pretty much flat except for a category three climb, which government is probably a category that is probably a category two climb equivalent in the Tour de France because Giro only goes up to uh, one, two, three pretty much um, is what they do. There's no HC climbs. 12.4 K is at 5.2% average gradient, Portella, Mandrazzi. Then it was a very technical, very foggy and wet descent on a very irregular road surface. And then halfway down, they sort of go through a, a hilltop town um, that was sketchy as hell. Um, and then they, there was a valley for about 40 kilometres with the second intermediate sprint at uh, Barcelona. Barcelona? Yeah. <laughs> Barcelona Pozzo di Gotto. Well, that's what it's called. Um, Barcelona Pozzo di Gotto. Surprising. Um, and that was going to be interesting for Almeida versus Caicedo because Caicedo is 0.28 seconds behind Almeida in GC, he lost He lost the pink jersey, as we said yesterday, because he celebrated. Um, if he'd ridden to the line, he would have, or if he picked up the bonification seconds earlier, he would be. He would have been in the Maglia Rosa today. So that would have been, that's an important sprint there, about 26 k's before the line, and then a pretty much flat run into the uh, coastal, on the coast, to Villa Franca, Terena. There was wind projected, but it didn't really eventuate. Um, so I quite like this sort of stage because it's a it's a fierce battle between the pure sprinters and who is a good climber out of those sprinters and is the climb going to be hard enough or the team's going to work hard enough, Bora and, say, uh, UAE for Ulysse or Sunweb for Matthews, were they going to really light up this climb and try and drop uh, some of the heavier boys? But, yeah, what how did the stage start out, Benji? Just a breakaway did got the road, as predicted. Uh, a man who we're familiar with on the, the Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast. We've spoken, each spoken to him a fair bit, I think. Yes, we had a breakaway of four riders. We had Simon Pelot, Kamal Granik, and Fraporti. And I can't figure out the fourth rider. Apparently, it's only three. So, yeah, I can't count. It's three riders in the breakaway today. Now, in that breakaway, it was pretty clear who was the strongest. We saw that on the climb itself. Nothing really happened before the climb itself. We only saw that Ora Hansgrohe was moving up a tiny bit in the peloton. So I was lingering with the thought that they were planning something on the climb itself. Now, they hit the climb. Very clear that Pelot was the strongest rider in that breakaway. Pelot is a rider that is very active on social media, so definitely check him out. I think he helped out with the parkour of Martigny. 
if I recall correctly. So yes, very kind guy and uh, awesome on social media. So again, check him out. Anyway, when it comes to the peloton, there were movements on the climb, but not necessarily at the start of it because I think it's about a twelve kilometer climb, twelve point four, like you said, and they started doing something at about eight kilometers from the top. We saw that with Bora Hansgrohe moving to the front with their goal of dropping these sprinters. The sprinters are, for example, a Gaviria for UAE. So that's why UAE would not pace here for Ulysses because they obviously want Gaviria to survive the climb. Oh, true. I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we also had Viviani for Kafidis and Hodge for Quickstep. I think those were the main sprinters. Also, Swift was dropped on this climb for Ineos, which was surprising to me considering his form he well, crashed. a few days ago. Did he crash? Oof. He crashed today, I didn't pretty see sure. That. From, I, didn't from see a, from a, from a, I think from a bid-on. There are other riders oh that crashed from bid-ons today. Yeah, uh, Trek, Peter, Vanning, Peter Vanning crashed very hard, and I'm pretty sure Swift crashed around that time too because, yeah, he would have got over this climb, obviously no problems if he hadn't crashed uh, based on yesterday's form. Yeah, additionally, we had Sepulveda crash as well. I think uh, that was a bit more to the start of the stage together with Waning. Waning looked a bit concussed, but he did continue the race. So might again pop up the uh, discussion about concussions in racing and when you decide to leave someone out of the race because he looked a bit odd the moments that he was standing up again. But yeah, he continued onwards and he actually did a lot of work today because we had Bora pace on that climb. But afterwards, when we hit the top of the climb, after dropping, first of all, Gaviria and Hodge, and a bit later Viviani. That means that you've got three groups at that moment. You've got the Peloton, you've got group Viviani, and behind that you've got group Gaviria and Hodge. Pretty much the whole team of UAE, except for McNulty and Yolisi, went back to the group of Gaviria to help out, well, get him back to the front. With Viviani, similar things. His team sent some riders back. I think Consoni was staying in the Peloton, because he would be the uh, second guy if Viviani doesn't make it back here. Now, with this climb, we spoke about it yesterday. We thought that Bora might do something on it, and it looked like it was a 50-50 when it comes to the people that I asked regarding whether the climb would influence the race. And I think that's what makes this parkour so beautiful, because it's unpredictable. You can't guess whether it's going to be used or not. And the reason I was guessing that it might not be Bora pacing here was because they have Conrad and Micah and I was thinking that you'd try and keep as many domestiques as possible for them as well but well their plan I would say worked with dropping Gaviria and Viviani but there was one person that was stronger than them all and that was Arno Demar who also stayed in the peloton quite unexpectedly I think for Bora but yeah with the form Demar has been showing so far this season it's pretty amazing but there was one team coming to the front on the top of the climb that was Trexegafredo to try and keep Nibli a bit in a safer position. And that was because, like you said, it was very misty. The downhill was wet. The descent was wet. It was not super technical, but the corners were so wet that the tempo went down so much. We saw that with Pelot, who was going really slow in the corners, talking with the motor driver for like quite a bit during the descent. I'm not sure what they were talking about, but... What was it with the glasses, by the way? Did you see what happened with his glasses or something? Because apparently something happened with Pelot's glasses in the descent itself. I think he lost them, and then he was struggling on the descent with like the rain and stuff flicking into his eyes. Um, 
But yeah, it would have actually been helpful for him if the motorbike had gone in front of him and like 25 metres in front of him and he could have followed his light, his rear light through the corners because there were certain sections for a kilometre or two kilometres where the visibility was so low. Like uh, they pretty much self-neutralised. Um, well, Pello self-neutralised and Trek went to the front and were keeping Nibali safe. I don't think Nibali was attacking or being aggressive on the descent at all. Um, I think that's a mischaracterization of what Trek were doing. I think if it's a wet and technical, technical descent and you're confident in your team around you and you're one of the best descenders, isn't the safest place to be on the front of the peloton rather than trusting the wheel in front of you not to make a mistake. Like Avonapol said um, in his descent uh, in the in Lombardia when he crashed, he said, look, someone made a mistake in front of me with their line and that's why I crashed. No one's ever going to believe me because I've got no footage. But um, that's why if you're, yeah, it's sometimes dangerous following other people's lines if they make a mistake. So I think Nibali did the right thing. Trekker looking very professional and composed. Obviously, I'm not surprised that DeMar made it over that climb because I basically said he's uh, Tash Benoit with a 1,700-watt sprint in the preview show and Benji laughed at me. Um, <laughs> but Gaviria getting dropped, not surprised. But Viviani, man, what a fall he's had from the quickstep days. This sort of climb would not have been a problem for him, I don't think, uh, when he was on form at quickstep. In Tour de France, he was pulling in the mountains for quickstep often. And sort of, I always thought of him like kind of like Ben Swift almost. Um, but yes, Sagan is climbing really well. He's looking really good. And uh, obviously, Ulysses was in no trouble. But Hodge, I'm worried about Alvaro Hodge uh, at Quick Step. I think if you're Quick Step and you've got to choose your next up and coming sprinters, I'd be putting all your, I'd be putting all the weight behind Ballerini, to be honest, uh, over Hodge, getting, given that he's getting dropped here and he. He can't win in the drag sprints against the big boys either. Um, and if you want to be quick steps, first or second sprinter, it's not about cleaning up uh, one pro races. It's about world tour uh, wins. So, yeah, worried about Hodge. He probably does need to show something uh, for the rest of this season. But, yeah, when did Pello get caught, Benji? I didn't actually – it was it was inevitable that he was going to get caught. But at what point did the sprinters' teams uh, actually reel him in and – I think it was Bora and FD, Bora mainly pacing. The moment that Pelot was caught, I think it was past the intermediate sprint because there were a few seconds left at the intermediate sprint, which actually came in play. And it's quite interesting because we saw Craddock move to the front with his teammate Caicedo, <laughs> who's currently on the same time as Almeida in GC. So any one of the two that gained second would run away from the other. And Caicedo had the opportunity of picking up the Maglia Rosa. I would have said the Mayo Rosa, but we're not in France. <laughs> anyway, we saw Almeida move to the front, react to that, and Caicedo and Almeida sprinted it out. And it felt very similar to the intermediate sprints that the Koenig did at the Tour de France. We saw that a teammate of Almeida, Ballerini, came up and started off with helping Almeida to try and beat Caicedo to stay ahead of him. And they both ended up beating Caicedo. So very similar compared to Sagan versus Merck, who and uh, Bennett at the Tour de France. But very brave of Caicedo to try. Honestly, I, I really dig this second intermediate sprint thingy because it paid off today. 
yeah, it was, that's a, it's a really good addition. And if the roles were reversed and Caicedo was in the Malia Rosa, it would have been even more exciting because Almeida would have been probably the favourite to take those bonus seconds uh, if he was, say, half a second behind Caicedo. So, yeah, um, quack, quack, no result for Craddock and EF getting the Malia Rosa for Caicedo, but good on them for trying. Um, and yeah, it was as you said, it was like the mini versions, the mini me's of Murku and Bennett, um, sort of mopping up these those bonification seconds. But yeah, it was Bora, and eventually they were helped out by FDJ because they were like, well, we've got Gaviria well off the back. He's probably the quickest man to be honest. And with that last left hand corner that's in this final sprint, uh, I should have probably called out the exact. Um, sort of last kilometre properly, but there's a, there's a left-hander with maybe 700 to go. And if you remember Vuelta Burgos, you won't remember. I'm probably the only lunatic that memorises final kilometres in one pro race, stage races. But in Vuelta Burgos, I think stage one, there was a right-hand corner with about 800 to go or 700 to go, maybe even less. FDJ had a very, very strong lead out. They took over and pretty much demolished Quickstep's lead out there. And they had Demar on the wheel and then... Gaviria just slipped into the middle of their lead out in this right-hand corner between Damar and Guarnieri and, like, destroyed them all. With his momentum and Damas, they kind of stuffed the corner, Guarnieri and uh, Damar. And Gaviria won by, like, a, a big, big margin. So it's not just that he's just as quick as Damar in the flat, maybe even quicker, but I'd rate him in this sort of finish as well. Um, doesn't mind to dive bomb a corner. Fernando Gaviria, and and that's going to come up actually in this sprint because FDJ or pacing Gaviria doesn't come back. Um, I didn't. It didn't look like he was coming back. Viviani wasn't that far behind, and he did make his way back. I think Hodge Benji was with the Gaviria group. Um, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So it looked like both groups were coming back slowly but surely, but one of them would actually not make it. Viviani made it back to the peloton quite quickly. I would say, after the intermediate sprint happened and moved up to the front with his coffee, his lads, quite swiftly. But in the group of Gaviria, they were about 40 seconds from the front group with about 12 kilometers to go. So it wasn't looking bright, but it's also not an unovercomable gap. But a few kilometers later, I think with about eight or seven kilometers to go, they just left it and they decided to, well, stop pacing in that second group because... You need to get to the group, 30 seconds, probably doable in seven kilometers, but you also need to get to the front of the peloton, which is probably the the hardest part, considering the sprint leadouts are getting ready and the chaos is happening in the peloton and everybody's setting up for the final sprint. Yeah, and it was pretty messy, actually, um, in the final sprint. It was Bora had a pretty good leadout for Sagan and then they dropped him off. Sagan with like two and a half Ks to go was quite a few wheels back and then as he does, like he was way back, he was behind the Cofidis riders and then he moved up to about fifth position onto Oldani's wheel, I think it was, the Lotto Sudal rider, uh, into about fifth wheel and then it was actually Israel's startup nation leading out and I think it was Zabel for... Uh, and they were leading up for Chimalai. I'm not sure who their first lead-out man was. It might have been Dowsett. They had a three-man train uh, well into the last maybe 1,500 metres, and you could see FDJ, who had been at the front for quite a while, they had uh, Scottson, Guarnieri, and Damar, obviously, and they were sort of waiting in the wings. They slipped onto Peter Sagan's wheel, uh, who was fifth, 
And then FTJ came up before that last left-hand corner really quickly with Scotson and really good move coming into the last 700 metres or so, 750. And Scotson went through the corner really quickly. Guarnieri lost his wheel and obviously had DeMar on his wheel. And Scotson opened up a really big gap because obviously he has to kick out of that corner. And he sort of went off the front. And it looked like what Richese and uh, Gaviria have sometimes done where Richese has won stages where Gaviria loses his wheel deliberately. Okay, Samzik did something recently in one of those French 1-1 one, one, one races or whatever. Um, it's a great effect, I think, with Buani. And, yeah, it looked like Scotson could actually go clear. He got a pretty good gap. He looked behind him. It, wasn't, it didn't look like it was the plan. But he looked behind him and realised, okay, I've got like a 25, 40 metre gap at this point. And Guarnieri, who was in the peloton, didn't have any benefit of a draft. So what was the point in him closing the wheel? You could see him struggling to make a decision on what to do. And he eventually started sort of soft pedalling and it all fanned out around him. And Scotson then kicked again and committed to the move because obviously he's going to, you're not looking behind yourself in a corner. And you're just going to come out into you. You go into the corner and then you you kick out hard. This is in the last seven hundred meters, uh, seven hundred meters of a sprint when you're a lead out man. And he's going to kick hard, and then he realised he had a gap, so he committed to it. Reverse lead out was in effect, and then Cofidis actually started to chase this down for Viviani, and they did chase it down. Guarnieri again came to the left hand side, accelerated pretty hard for Damar on his wheel into the last 200 metres and then Sagan got a nice slipstream off the, off Guarnieri, went to the right-hand side. Guarnieri, yeah, he is a pretty good leader. And then, but Sagan came with loads of momentum really early with like 200 to go. Damar had a gap then on the left-hand side. Sagan didn't had a, it wasn't that much of a gap, but Sagan held his line nicely, left that gap on the barriers for Damar. And yeah, Damar, was able to come up the inside and just on the line beat Peter Sagan. I'm talking like two millimetres. We didn't know for about 15 minutes after the stage. And Ballerini came third as well, about two inches behind Arno Demar. So it was really, really close sprint and really, really good work from Sagan trying to beat that FDJ train. But yeah, what were you what were the comments made by Guarnieri? Benji, I think after the stage about that reverse lead out because um, he sounded a bit salty actually. Yeah, I think he was. Uh, I think it was jokingly, but he said something along the lines of, uh, "Well, he exposed my uh, my cornering or something, something like that." But um, in the end, it's probably uh, not really a, a troubled fair topic, I guess, at the dinner table tonight because they ended up winning a stage in the Giro, so. Probably goal number one for FDJ at the start here. Next goal is probably winning another one. Now, what I noticed in that sprint was the youngsters, because it's always fun to look at the riders that you don't expect to be up there in the sprints. We saw the likes of Stefano Aldani, spoke about him on the preview, that he is a sprinter at Lotto Sudal. Not necessarily known, rode well at the Mallorcan challenges at the start of the season. I think he came fifth after the likes of Ackermann and Moschetti. And we also had Fiorelli, unknown to me, genuinely. He's right from Bardiani, was ninth today. So I'm curious where he's going to be able to succeed in doing this multiple times throughout the next couple of weeks. But we also don't need to look too much at a 9th or 10th position in the sprint because you've got a McNulty in 12th, who's probably just trying to keep himself to the front of the peloton. 
there was a small split in the peloton. I think with about a good 800 meters to go of like 10 meters, 20 meters, but it was noticeable that Almeida was in the second group and Caicedo was in the front group. So if that gap would have actually sustained till the finish line, Almeida would have lost his Maglia Rosa in the last kilometer of the sprint stage. So would have been a bummer as well, but they did close that down and that was not a problem in the end. But something very sad and noticeable after the stage itself was that suddenly there was a barrier on the road and there were two Vinny Zabu riders in the middle of the road. And yeah, it looked a bit off and we had no clue what happened. One of the riders was basically hugged around with the sponsor stuff that is on the barriers. And well, we have some updates surrounding that. And it's 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 so annoying to talk about because one of the guys in there was Luca Wackerman, the person that you Lantern have been talking about for ages that he's going to win a Giro stage, and I totally believe it at this point because, yeah, we saw him on stage two doing something amazing as well for, well, what we, what the mainstream cycling fans probably did not expect at all from a Luca Wackerman. And he apparently has injuries, but they're obviously not sure what it is yet. The team manager of Vinny Zabu is saying that the cause of the barrier being on the road was because a helicopter was flying too low. The movement of the air blew up the barriers. Wakaman was sent to the hospital. He was barely conscious. It is not clear if he had broken his pelvis or femur. Barriers weren't tied properly. Now, additionally, he also said that he was conscious but that he had a hard time recognizing Shinto, who is that director sportive we spoke about yesterday, who was in the car throwing that uh, bottle on the ground. So it's not looking too good. So let's hope and I guess pray for him that he gets out of this with at least minimal injuries, if possible, because it's not looking overly great. Now, the Giro guy, I think Venny is the RCS guy from Giro. He said that the barriers were tied properly. So it looks like they're already playing a bit of a, a lawyer game to me that's a real shame because Wackerman's not actually that young so he's like 28 years old so you know next year world tour teams willing to sign him he's 29 that would probably be his yeah his first world tour contract or whatever so he's kind of running out of time so real shame to see that um, i've got an update oh um, an update okay yeah the team manager of vinnie zabu just said Wackerman was in the hospital he has a fractured cheekbone and a cut under the chin he is conscious but does not remember Riding the Giro d'Italia, he'll go under X-ray. That's fucked. Jeez, that's terrible. Let's hope it gets better, um, or at least the news here, because yeah, that sucks to be heard. To be honest, going back to the Guarnieri cornering thing, um, I agree that it shouldn't. I agree that FDJ shouldn't have been doing a reverse lead out there because if it's not the plan as well, um, and they've got the strongest lead out, it makes sense to keep it a high pace with Scott and then Guarnieri and then have DeMar sprint off that really high plate pace, whereas kind of what happened was Guarnieri was confused and then he he then had to restart his lead out late and it allowed Sagan to kind of move up into a really good position. It, it allowed the opportunists in the bunch like Sagan to, yeah, to kind of try and poach a victory here, whereas I think it wouldn't have been as close if they had a proper normal lead out for that being said, if Cofidis hadn't sort of decided they were the team to chase this down, maybe Scotson would have won the stage. Um, but if anyone made a mistake, it was Guarnieri because just like in Welter Burwell stage two, um, him and 
Demar took the corner really slowly and of course Scotland's going to get out of the saddle and accelerate out of the corner without checking behind him. That's normal. It's the responsibility of Barnieri to be on his wheel um, and he lost it. So he's only got himself to blame, I guess, for the sprint being quite messy, but no harm, no foul. Demar gets the win by the smallest of margins and he was our pick yesterday, I think. I think you picked Gaviria just to be contrarian, Benji, but really you picked Demar. Uh, on Twitter, he was your three pieces slice man. So, yeah, we both picked him <laughs> for today um, and he got the job done. Tomorrow's stage from Mileto to Camigliato, Camigliatello Silano, 226Ks, beast of a stage, stage five. Um, I don't know, I'm not sure what's going to happen on this stage. We've got Thomas out. We've got Ineos now going for stage victories. Uh, there is no real <laughs> it's everyone, every man fending for himself pretty much, except for Trek have got some pretty handy climbers for Vincenzo Nibali. But yeah, it's a rolly stage with no categorized climbs until 90 Ks in with three and a half Ks, 5.4%, 10 Ks at 5.2%. Then the Tiriolo and then more rollers, constant rollers of like 1K, 2K at 5%, etc. No real flat at all in the last 100 and 30Ks, um, and then the main climb is the Valico di Montescuro, which is 22.7Ks at about 6%, a Category 1 climb, which is the highest categorization in the Giro, and then it's the descent into the finish, and it sort of flattens off in the last oh, two or three kilometers. So kind of similar actually to the, Mon- no, not the Monteguel stage, but a few, maybe the Tour de Lance stage where there was a descent into the finish, uh, stage nine, stage nine of the tour. This reminds me of actually, um, if you want a comparison there. But I think I picked Mazzanato in the preview, but I'm going to change that to Almeida um, because yeah, he's obviously riding way better than Mazzanato, and he's they obviously want to be defending the defending the jersey. Other picks would be Diego Ulisi, I think, if they go really slowly, maybe um, or Micah. Raphael Micah, if he goes for a, an attack and then uses the descent as well. I don't really have a good feeling on whether a breakaway will go or not. I feel like Volta missed a break, missed not getting in the break yesterday. That would have been a really good opportunity for him. Will he try and get in this one today? Who will pace if a break does go now that Ineos and Mitchelton <laughs> aren't going to pace at all? I'm not sure. It's I, I really don't have a good feeling. I think, yeah, what do you think, Benji? You're the breakaway whisperer. Is, does a break have a chance tomorrow? Yeah, I think the break is going to win because I think Trek is not going to try and control the race. They're not in the Maglia Rosa. They're not going to spend energy like that. Almeida probably won't care too much either as long as Caicedo's not in the breakaway. And Caicedo might be in the breakaway, generally. Looking at how he was vicious to try and uh, get those seconds today, that might happen. But I think that the break is going to win. If I have to put a name on it, it's a bit of a guess because, yeah, in general, breakaway stages are much like a guess at the moment. I would say two names. That's Caratero for Movistar. Or I would go towards the side of EF again. But for Ruben Guerrero, the Portuguese rider that rode very well at the Vuelta. So those are two names I've got settled down. It could be plenty of other riders. So don't take my word for it. This is not betting advice. And um, I guess we'll find out tomorrow. I think the KOM jersey is still safe among the shoulders of the rider that is currently wearing it, which is Caicedo. Let's take a look at that. 
yes, 22 points ahead of Visconti still from yesterday. And tomorrow, I think it's less to gain on that first cat at the end. So no real trouble there. Anyway, that's a wonderful stage I'm looking forward to. And I think you as well. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, because even if there is a breakaway that goes, there could still be GC action uh, on the climb. And I think today's stage was a really good one too, because instead of having a pancake flat sprint stage, we had the drama of who was going to get dropped on the climb. And then once Gavidia and Hodge were dropped and Viviani, were, the teams, were they going to be able to catch back? couple of them were meant that sprint teams worked earlier i think it, it just added a lot of drama to the stage and it was only 150 k's long so not a long one either um but yeah a nice stage and a good one tomorrow this year is pretty much must watch television every single day but that's all from us for our lantern rouge and podcast giro pod brought to you by lacole let us know in the comments who you think is going to win tomorrow. That might be a good thing for us to start up in the YouTube comments so other people are giving their picks and we can give you a bit of kudos and shout out if you pick the breakaway winner tomorrow. Um, We'll obviously be timestamping it, so no cheating. And if you do enjoy the podcast, make sure to give us a review or a rating. It doesn't take very long on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out uh, the pod a lot. But that's all from us. Ciao.